Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Kaiju versus History, the Kaiju versus History podcast, uh, where we are looking at the complete and chronological history of all things giant monster movies. My name is Patrick, and joining me is Miles. How are you doing, Miles? I am doing great. I am excited to talk about some more monster history. Yeah, so uh, this episode is is coming out right after our introduction to the podcast itself, our criteria, and now we're going to talk actually about history and and, and starting with um, where does the genre start? Uh, This episode is called 100 Years of Daikaiju, Giant Monster Movie Creatures, (laughs) and there's really nowhere to start (laughs) except in the annals of human history (laughs) with with giant monsters because um you know i for some reason i just i thought that this was a an invention of of films but you know when you think about it there have been massive creatures in mythology in the bible for all of mankind um since we've been starting to tell stories yeah, I mean, from from uh, sailors swapping stories about kraken and sea monsters to mm. yeah, Jonah and the whale, or or yep. any of of the world religions like giant creatures that that exist. I mean, David versus gi- Goliath. Yeah, we've had giant monsters or giant creatures in I think our our cultural consciousness for probably all of human history in in some degree. Mm-hmm. Um. They've always been kind of passed down, you know, from from ancient mythos. Um, and I mean, like the the monomyth, uh, Joseph Campbell talks about almost every <laughs> as I was looking into this, almost every single place on Earth has stories of giant monsters. And it could just be a much larger version of an animal that exists. Um <laughs> I mean, there's too many for me to even list out here, but like even like the Inuit people have a story of like a 400 foot uh, polar bear <laughs> in, in their their mythos and, you know, native. How have we never had a polar bear kaiju? <laughs> wait, wait, how do we get so close? We got like the Yeti and the Wendigo, uh, which are, are, I don't know, closer to like a bipedal. Uh, yeah, and, and there's a certainly kaiju, but like a daikaiju, like a <laughs> gigantic bear well, yeah, the size of a building. <laughs> king Caesar, that's close enough. Yeah, my, my, my boy the king is, is all I get, but he's more dog-like. Yeah, or monkey dragon? He's a, he's a mix of a, a few different things. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. In, in the Bible, you've got behemoths, you've got leviathan. There are mentions of dragons and other huge creatures, you know, things that require slain or, you know, divine intervention to, to stop uh, mighty things uh, from Greek antiquity. You've got uh, the Cyclops and the progenitors of the gods themselves were called Titans, which, you know, they, they use that term in the monsterverse of, of movies to refer to Kaiju. Um, but I mean, there's all kinds of huge beasts. There's Hydra, uh, where you know, and in, in Chinese and Japanese mythologies, there's multi-headed dragons there as well. So it's something that's actually shared across a few different 
ancient mythologies. Uh, it seems like giant reptiles have always been uh, something that terrifies humanity. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I wanted to talk about some of the the kind of maybe the actual basis for those creatures. Um, in 1914, a a researcher into its uh, Athenio Abel theorized that maybe the ancient Greek Cyclops stories came from the discovery of uh, Pleistocene dwarf elephants, uh, which were said to be in the coastal caves around Greece. Um, and I think probably their tusks, if they're, they they had any, were taken, you know, because they're, they're ivory and very valuable. And maybe they left behind these skulls and the skulls, they have this large nasal cavity where the trunk was that probably looked like a single massive eye, you know, and this is just a theory, but that could, if you looked at a, a an elephant skull and we're trying to, you know, I mean, it's a mammal skull. It looks almost human like, and but you saw one eye, you know, what kind of creature would you um, yeah. imagine that would be? It, and um, if, even as, as recent as 1914, it's wild to think that like, you know, the possibility of Cyclops is being, you know, thought of as real is, <laughs> is interesting. Oh yeah. I mean, th- there's all kinds of speculators and con men that were doing things like making giant plasters of, right. Uh, of human bones um, and, and setting them up to, to make it look like they, they had found giant bones, you know, like giants from, from the Bible. Oh, I was saying, well, over in Africa, you've got the uh, Mokele Mbembe, which is mm-hmm. like this, cryptid resembling a dinosaur like in the congo river region if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. and uh the name itself means one who stops the flows of river referring to like the size and i mean you don't need a description besides that definition for yeah that is frightening (laughs) yeah if if something's large enough to stop the flow of a river i mean Oh boy, that's that's a that's a giant creature. So so many, so many of the descriptions of the creature also um, uh, resemble uh, dinosaurs. You know, um, like your um, Loch Ness monster also is very similar to um, uh, ocean-born dinosaurs. How how they came up with that in you know <laughs> Central Africa is is interesting, but in um, 1819, William Buckland was one of the guys that uh, was one of the first people to find and categorize dinosaur bones. He was he was a fossil hunter and started uncovering sites of huge bones and eventually started putting them together about a decade uh, or so later and, uh, and described them in 1824. Um, he found a megalosaurus as, as one of the first dinosaurs he described. And to me, it's crazy to think about. It. It's so recently that we've we've made those discoveries. Like George Washington, uh, founder of America, was dead before dinosaurs were like discovered, <laughs> categorized oh, and discovered. Founder of America, but but he was the uh, leader of the free world first. <laughs> but yeah, I, it, we, it is wild to think of that 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 this is you know what not even a four hundred year old concept. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is such a new thing in <laughs> in human history that like for, for so long, we didn't really know about dinosaurs. Well, I think 
and, and there are examples, I think, uh, in antiquity of people finding what we think are dinosaur bones. And a lot of people think that's where the stories of dragons come from, from Hydra, um, and maybe even just bones of large creatures like um, elephants and, and giraffes and, and, and the like. But the fact that, yeah, it's so widespread that these creatures have popped up in all mythologies across the the entire world is is scary <laughs> you know yeah um but uh yeah that in my opinion it probably speaks to a time in early mankind you know 200,000 years ago or so when we're just coming out of our last evolutionary stage and in our minds we are hardwired to be afraid of things larger than us you know it's a healthy fear that anything larger than us can probably kill us um not i'm not i'm not even talking about uh lions you know which it's you know they've got teeth and those are things that we're scared of as well but even a giraffe <laughs> could kill a human being at the time or uh an elephant obviously could so anything larger than us i think innately humans are are supposed to be afraid of and that follows through today <laughs> you know i'm, well, I'm yeah, afraid but of it also animals. it also uh informs that you know giant creatures are always you know sort of in our our minds so it makes sense that you know you start to see these things even early in film history where, where you see the imagination captured by these larger creatures yes and i mean there's all all sorts of examples the one that i wanted to to point out first is i mean there's actually many examples in the the silent film era but uh from the creator of um little nemo and the rare brit fiend uh windsor mckay we, we found a short called uh the pet uh the rare bit fiend the pet which you can find online it's it's only about 10 minutes long or so um <laughs> It's it's a ride. <laughs> yeah. And and you're a big fan of Windsor McKay. We, we talked about it a little bit before. Um, supposedly, he is one of the early in kind of uh, he, he credited with He's credited with the first animated film, I think. Yeah. So putting together pictures in moving form, uh, one of the first things he, he did was at animate a dinosaur uh, called Gertie the Dinosaur. And he used it projected behind him uh, during a vaudeville act. So this is how long ago we're talking like the 1910s where the, the dinosaur would be on the screen and he would give it commands, you know, uh, talking to the audience and like, you know, stand up on your back legs and it would stand up and would wow people. <laughs> I'm sure back then. And then at the end of the film, it's really quite interesting. He would walk off stage. I'm, I'm guessing. And in the, animated film itself uh he would appear <laughs> from like stage right and walk onto the dinosaur's back and ride it away which you know it's kind I of like a, so much <laughs> a magic <laughs> yeah it's like yeah, a, magic it's a performance drink. yeah but um uh yeah that that's a dinosaur it is a very careful dinosaur gertie um but i think he actually started what we think of kaiju cinema <laughs> with the pet. Um, do, do you have a, a description of what this, the short is about? Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's pet, wild. The pet it's part of a, a series called dreams of a rare bit feed. And it's where this, this man has a, 
a bit of rare bit, which is, I think, was it Welsh rabbit? Is that yeah. Called? Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's an antiquated term, but yes. um, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's rabbit prepared a certain way. He eats it before dinner and his wife says, Oh, we're going to have strange dreams. And it's uh, essentially, he starts dreaming of this, cat-like creature that finds its way into his home and proceeds to well devour everything but i want to <laughs> i want to i want to talk about this because this this cartoon i thought was so odd and joyously disturbing in yeah. in the most innocent way <laughs> i mean there's some very cute elements i think it's a very while it's a young pet <laughs> it's very cute it it looks like a dog in profile and then, but it also like lays on its back in a few parts and, and its ears stick out kind of like, and they're rounded kind of like a dino or a, um, an elephant's ears. It parts and of the, the, sometimes it thinks, I think it looks like a cat, a cow. And the, the, the snout is kind of like rounded, like goofies almost, or, yeah. or, or like a cartoon character. Yeah. There, there's a lots of, it, it's very imaginative. It is, you know, supposed to look kind of like a domesticated small pet at first, <laughs> but, uh, it, it begins eating things in the house and it's very slight at first, but it grows in size just about every time it eats something. Right. And... It, it, this, this is subtle because yeah, I, I think it grows the, the woman. Is, so a, a couple is take is it the man and wife from, from the bedroom scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, she basically takes this pet in and I love, I love the, the intro because when the when the husband comes home, presumably from work, his only reaction is to like dead ass stare this animal down in the yard. He, like he's outside he, the gate for like a minute. He knows he knows it's evil. <laughs> <laughs> and then his only comment to his wife is, "You're crazy about pets. I'm going to bed. Good night." <laughs> <laughs> Which I just I I mean it's the silent era, so like I know they only they don't have time for much dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> she treats it like an infant tucks into bed as one would a child and it just continues to grow furthermore uh then it eats the pet cat and as it grows so uh, dark so dark it, this, this short the couple uh eats dinner and it starts to eat all of their food and the husband just walks out literally to the store and goes how can i murder this animal my wife brought home <laughs> yeah specifically says how can i murder this thing I mean, this is a Twilight Zone episode. Like, you know, if they had the capability to do these kind of um, special effects, I think, I mean, well, we get this in the form of like the doll episode where the the father's trying to murder the doll, but it keeps coming back. But yeah, the pet is impossible to kill. Um, He buys a barrel of rat poison. And at this point, it's the size of a cow and it eats the entire barrel. And I was not prepared for what happens in this scene oh the weird mutation scene i was i was legit shocked i did not expect it it's really disturbing so it it eats the poison and then develops boils all over its its body flesh starts to bubble it it, and then it like the boils like increase in size to where it's it's like all boils it's so hard to describe the animation is disturbing to say the least but, but it's fine <laughs> well, afterwards it, because the entire thing is like it's like a, a live like organs which is like but yeah it, it continues to devour everything and eventually gets so large it is the size of the building and it goes off into the town or into the city and is towering Chomp. over buildings 
And and here is where I I feel, and I I, I would imagine Patrick feels the same way because this is why we're talking about this. Mm-hmm. A lot of popular kaiju imagery is definitely established within this short, yeah. whether it's consciousness or not. I mean, for me with with Godzilla, it's the the eating of the trolley car. This is a very popular thing in early <laughs> kaiju movies: is the damage of a train or subway um, yeah. being picked up and and basically put to, to wreck. Um, mm-hmm. And this may be an obvious thing, but these tropes haven't been established yet. So it's definitely worth noting. And I think the other main one that we would probably agree on is you obviously have uh, some some imagery paid for King Kong as it's as the airplanes start to attack it. Yeah, and- they drop bombs <laughs> and uh, yeah, it eats a, a I don't think it's a train car. It is a trolley car in this, it's but a trolley it, car. it's, yeah. I mean, it just eats it in like one bite. Just gulp yeah. everyone on board dead. <laughs> um, we bring this up uh, once again, because uh, this film next week from when this episode airs is turning 100 years old. I think it was based on a comic strip a little bit before that, but the animated version of it is a hundred years old, which is so crazy to to think about but yeah some of those tropes that you see you know this is just goes to prove with some of our other examples we're going to talk about we're just in the zeitgeist already but they weren't fully formed yet <laughs> I, I also love the ending of this bit because after the city's destroyed by all these bombs the man wakes up and his wife is just looking at him mean mugging him with this i told you so look and it's it's <laughs> it brings this this surreal cartoon to a very humorous end yeah. like because and and uh, Windsor McKay uh, if if you're familiar with the character of little nemo he played with dreams and and what wild imaginations people have in their minds a lot so while this can seem super disturbing when you put it within the context of a dream you're like well this makes sense yeah and, and it's it's a really interesting short because it does play with a lot of things that will be further established in kaiju cinema in 12 years from now. Um, yeah. I mean, we will see baby kaiju uh, at, at various points that are like, Oh, it's so adorable. And then it keeps growing and growing and growing. And eventually you get a son of Godzilla or, you know, what have you. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. It just goes to prove that that fear you know, maybe coming through in Windsor McKay's dreams. I'm guessing this is probably a dream he had is, is something that uh, a lot of people shared um, of something that you love, perhaps uh, growing huge and monstrous and you not being able to stop it. Um, There were a lot of examples in literature of fantastical science fiction uh, creatures Um We've got fringe author Jules Verne, who a lot of people say, you know, created science fiction or modern science fiction that we know it, even though there were tons of people before him that that wrote science fiction stories. Mary Shelley, for example. Yeah, I was, was going to say, well, Mary Shelley is this low. <laughs> um, but, you know, Verne definitely popularized a lot of the the elements and tropes the same way we'll see Godzilla do <laughs> with Kaiju films. Um, but yeah, he had giant monsters in 20,000 leagues under the sea uh, and journey to the center of the earth. And about 40 years later, uh, we would also get Sir Arthur Conan Doyle who would go on to write one of his more popular books that didn't involve a uh, 
deductive reasoning detective. Uh, he wrote the series The Lost World. It had some some very popular sequels. This was towards the end of his writing life, but is another very similar book to uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth. But it's a, a speculative work that has dinosaurs alive atop a giant plateau, uh, kind of separated from the rest of the world, like they were in the center of the Earth almost. But you know they've been alive this entire time, and. Uh, yeah, and this this sets the stage uh, for I, I would say the the next baby step in in kaiju cinema's infancy. Uh, yes, yeah. There, in, in 1925, there is the Lost World film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I mean that was very close to the the writing of the book, which is interesting to me. Um, the you know how fast an adaptation can go from from book to to the screen but yeah it's it's a, a very early monster film a monstrous film that um i think you know like their depiction of dinosaurs and in, in the silent film era before other giant kind of creatures um uh george Millier, for example had like giant ice creature in one of his films that was like a part of the set you know and it like picked picked up actors and things like that. <laughs> um, but Lost World does depict dinosaurs, particularly in a very um, groundbreaking way where um, they use a, a split screen technology uh, to show live actors in the same screen panels as uh, their dinosaurs, which were stop motion creatures and I mean, it's something we're going to see in a lot of films, but specifically in in King Kong, um, it, the dinosaurs in Lost World were created by Willis O'Brien, who would go on to do King Kong. And I mean, we, uh, did you watch the entire film uh, in, in prep for this? Because I, I did not. I skimmed a lot of it. <laughs> I, I, I also skimmed it. I, I honestly and this is really bad for me as a, a film fan and a fan of film history. I do struggle with a lot of silent film. I've been uh, able to watch, you know, my fair share of like uh, Fritz Lang and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. I do struggle with uh, silent films in general. And they they, they are tougher for me to watch sometimes. And so, yeah, I did find myself skimming this this film. But I did watch the the scene in question, which is I think the scene that we wanted to focus on anyway, Mm -hmm. um, which is basically what would be, you know, kind of remade almost 80 years later in uh, the lost world Jurassic park. Oh yeah. Where you have a, a monster, a muck downtown in a, in a, a city or an actual dinosaur, a muck specifically. <laughs> it's, it's um, so, so funny in the book, it's just a, a baby pterosaur that they bring back from uh, Africa. <laughs> and <laughs> in the movie, they bring back, I, I'm uh, they, they gas and bring back, a brontosaurus, full-size brontosaurus to be displayed and, you know, as proof of their, their journey. And believe it or not, it goes awry. Oh, no! It, it escapes and starts destroying uh, London. Just goes on rampage. We see it knock into a building. Um, it almost eats a child. A uh, man, like, runs out and starts shooting at its foot, which is hilarious because they, they have a foot prop. Um, that comes down from like the top of the screen where it's like a clawed, <laughs> like it looks like a, a T-Rex, you know, clawed foot <laughs> um, for a brontosaurus, which, you know, is is probably much closer to like a, 
elephant or a pachyderm with its feet. I, and I got to say, the given that it's 1925, it looked really good. It yes. was a cool effect. Yeah. So, I mean, this this is uh, a full 10 years before King Kong, but the stop motion looked good even then um it said that they made some test footage to see if this movie was possible and sir arthur conan doyle showed it uh scenes of the dinosaurs um to the society of american magicians where like a 20 something harry houdini was as well as some of the most uh, amazing illusionists in the world at the time and it caused such a stir there were some uh, newspapers that came out right after where people were like was this real dinosaur footage like where did this come from that kind of thing right um, you know how much of that was was played up for the press was one thing but it it's, shows an example of how magical film can be where if i mean if you show it to someone today it's like oh well that doesn't look very real but think of like the amount of technologies that had to go into recreating the stop motion and the fact that they probably had never seen anything like that before <laughs> it probably could fool a lot of people back back in the day willis would go on to to win an, an academy award for for stop motion in 1949's mighty joe young but yeah even back then 25 years before that i mean it was wowing people the the stop motion and and for good reason it looks fantastic i i think stop motion is less looked upon as much now i mean it it speaks that i think only one company really does it in earnest on a mainstream scale which is uh, Leica with, yeah. with their films but um I've always been a, a fan of stop motion stuff there's there's a tactile sense that you get to see something on the screen that's actually there and for whatever reason that, that always makes a difference for it, me it, it's it's very expensive it's very time consuming uh we are going to see it a lot in American monster movies, um, and that goes to one of um, uh, Willis O'Brien's, you know, spiritual successors, Ray, Ray Harryhausen, who would go on and basically perfect the art <laughs> in the the fifties uh, for a number of films. But yeah, um, it's really hard to do, and very few studios today do it. I think even back then, it was. I mean, it was very difficult to get looking smooth and it actually looks pretty good here in 1925, almost hundred years ago. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's the thing is like, I mean, it, it looks good as, as a piece of primitive uh, stop motion, but like, imagine this is a, a century ago and it's, it, it's, yeah, it kind of blows your mind a little bit. Um, but let, let's move on to the, the other uh, early piece of, of pre Kaiju history that we wanted to get into. And this is just a phenomenal short film an animated short called the arctic giant oh boy i um i'm surprised i had never heard of this before to be honest i feel like this should be a bigger deal than than it is and it's another like a 10 minute short that you can can watch like the pet that on youtube it, it's yeah i don't know it's probably public domain but it's a fleischer superman animated short from 1942 um, yeah, the Arctic giant is a giant block of ice is accidentally unfrozen. And uh, we see stepping forth from ancient times, a giant green uh, bipedal 
monster with, with short arms, a short lizard face. Um, Stop me if you've heard this one before. And several dorsal spikes along its its back and tail like Stegosaurus. And if I, if I describe that to you, it's like, oh, well, that's Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, but, I, I remember um, Cartoon Network used to play a lot of the Fleischer cartoons uh, pre-adult swim at late mm. night a lot or on Sundays. They, um, they look so amazing. They're, that, they're, that they're gorgeous. style is, it's, it's great. <laughs> and as far as something that kind of uh, predicts and predates the Kaiju cinema, this gets a lot of the monster stomping on a city perfectly right. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I went back and I was, I was looking through it. It, we do see this, this creature, the Arctic giant, um, uh, trapes in through Metropolis. It steps on two police cars at once. It crushes two police cars as a massive three-toed kind of clawed foot, which, I mean, it just looks exactly like Godzilla stepping on a tank, yeah. you know? Um, but yeah, it, it's standing like 10 to 11 stories tall. At one point, it's next to a nine-story uh, building. So it's like 100 to 140 feet which is like right there, very similar to uh, to Godzilla height range as well. Um, that's like 40 meters or so, I think. Um, but yeah, it, it, it also has a scene where it walks through a giant suspension bridge, um, which I don't think they did a lot in the, the classic Godzilla movies, but was in the MonsterVerse uh, Godzilla film mm-hmm. where he goes through the the. Uh, Golden, Golden Gate Bridge. Bridge. Yeah. Uh, but it does depict the one thing I, I I really was struck by was the fact that a lot of the damage is done in a degree of severity that you don't often associate with superhero cartoons. Mm. Uh, when you see the damage, I mean, it's depicted realistically and the people seem out of sorts and and um, generally terrified and and not, not constantly in a... Uh, cartoonish terror. I mean, the Fleischer cartoons were a lot more serious fare than, say, mm-hmm. you know, the Fox Kids Saturday morning cartoons. And, you know, I think what's interesting about this is because of that, it does echo things that we'll see in the first few uh, serious kaiju films where the the damage is real, the effect is real, and despite the fact that it's a Superman cartoon and it ends in kind of a, a friendly Superman way with like, oh, it's to play at the pub, display at the public zoo, um, which was <laughs> probably informed by King Kong since this came, you know, a decade after. Yeah, but but it's interesting to to see some of these notes already being hit. Like it, I feel like culturally, and we'll talk about this next week with with King Kong. I feel like. Everything was bubbling for that perfect monster movie to be made. It just it took to 1954 Japan to to get that perfected to a science. Yeah, yeah, and I think that I mean, we'll talk about several over the course of of kaiju cinema history uh, milestone moments, uh, including with next week's episode. Spoiler, but uh, yeah, Godzilla is definitely one of them, and it just it tumbled through and picked up things like this you know i don't think because of when this came out in 42 i don't think this was probably ever played in japan it's it's hard to say because it's it's, it's not one of those things 
it's not like, you know, you can just send over a tape. This had to be a film reel that was distributed. And I don't think Superman was extremely popular because he's pretty much a, a symbol of the United States in Japan in, in the 50s when, when Godzilla was was coming to fruition. You know, what was popular was our first review, uh, our first movie review that we're going to be talking about next week, Miles. <laughs> Yes. So uh, we're we're going to we're going to put an end to, you know, our our second episode 100 years of Daikaiju. Mm-hmm. Um in, in preparation for next week where oh, I'm so excited. We're going to do our first actual film review. So before that, if you want to send us your personal thoughts and opinions on Kaiju, please talk to us on the Twitter yeah. at Kaiju versus History. Email us with any comments, concerns or Kaiju facts at Kaiju versus History at gmail.com. Or go to kaijuversehistory.com to get ready for the next installment of our march through the annals of monster movie mayhem. So next week, we are very proud to present to you History versus King Kong.